Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, General Manager at Wisports.net, and your host each and every week, except for last week when we uh, when we skipped it. Uh, but otherwise, most weeks, as we dive into all the topics related to high school sports in the state of Wisconsin, we are knee-deep in the full swing of things of the high school winter sports season, including and especially boys and girls basketball. The games have really kicked into high gear. Things are rolling along. You know, Tuesday nights, Friday nights, uh, the last couple weeks have uh, featured close to 300 total games between boys and girls basketball. And of course, we've got a very, very busy holiday schedule coming up with a number of tournaments and classics and uh, events and and all kinds of different uh, names for, for what is going on in those couple days after Christmas. And we will spend some time next week diving into those a little bit more on the podcast with both Mark Miller and Norbert Durst, our uh, basketball experts, get their thoughts on some of the top events that are going on, some of the big games to watch, things like that. But for this week, we're going to kind of take a step back and, and really talk about and focus on some pretty significant off the court off the field business related type items that have come out in the last few weeks here uh, a pretty busy news cycle for the WIAA uh again some pretty significant things that I I don't know that people are really uh catching up on fully in terms of just how significant they are and or could be we're going to go back a couple of weeks and start with um the first time through the new process for conference realignment that was put into place by the WIAA to uh, to handle realignment requests and to handle the actual uh, process of reviewing information, collecting information for conference realignment, etc. Just as a a brief history lesson, that process in the past had fallen to Deb Hauser, who uh, later became Deb Dinkle the uh, associate director, uh, I believe she was associate or was it assistant director? I, I apologize, Deb. Uh, I can't remember right now. Um, but uh, WI executive staff member who was in charge of conference realignment. And it really was not a very efficient process. It really wasn't a very um, you know, good process for anybody, to be quite honest with you. It, it was kind of a, uh, a little bit informal in many ways. The the goal or, or what the WIA said for schools that wanted relief, that wanted realignment of some kind, was that they were supposed to go to one of these seven area meetings held around the state in the fall, stand up at the end when they asked who wanted conference realignment, and say, we want conference realignment. And from there, you know, Deb would look at it or, uh, you know, kind of review things and um, there was a lot of things that went on behind the scenes that, uh, you know, discussions and different things like that, but ultimately it fell on Deb's shoulders to have to kind of weed through all of these different various requests and and things that were coming across uh, from a lot of different places. And it was not formalized. It was not something that really flowed very well. Deb would review it. Deb would put together some proposals based on the requests that came in. And ultimately, the Board of Control would have the final say voting yes or no. 
but it was a process that lent itself to um, a lot of bad feelings. And it was a really challenging process for Deb to work through, especially the last few years when uh, it started with the Valley Football Association, the uh, the melding together of the Fox Valley Association and the Wisconsin Valley Conference almost 10 years ago, uh, 10 years ago now, or, or maybe even it is 10 years ago now. Uh, it continued a few years later with a very significant realignment in Southeast Wisconsin. And that's really the one that, uh, that really turned kind of ugly and nasty at, at times uh, with, you know, some, some people uh, really getting uh, emotional and, and personal about the process and how they thought things were handled. Some of the schools down in that Southeast part of the state, ultimately there was a realignment that went through um, a very contentious one that resulted in around 80 or 90 schools being changed in some fashion there was also a realignment that went through in Northeast Wisconsin. And of course, those were all all sport realignments that uh, that were taken care of at that time. Um, when Deb retired uh, a year and a half ago or, or almost two years ago now, the WIA, uh, understandably, Dave Anderson, the executive director, looked at it and said, you know what, this, this isn't working. And this isn't something that we want to put on the plate of whoever would be taking over for Deb or put on the plate of another um, staff member potentially at the WIAA. Uh, and it really wasn't fair to have one person shoulder all of that responsibility, shoulder all of that negativity that came with it because quite often conference realignment was a, uh, you know, a contentious uh, atmosphere. It was something that you know, you were going to make somebody upset uh, very, very often. And, and especially the bigger you got and the more schools that got involved uh, and that were involved in a plan, it, it just wasn't going to make everybody happy. There were people that going to, that were going to be upset. During that, uh, that process, especially in the Southeast Wisconsin realignment, there were also a number of complaints from the schools themselves about the process, about how it worked and, and how they felt that uh, you know, that, that things weren't heard or that, um, you know, some things were done that they didn't approve of, whatever. Uh, and so it was time to reevaluate that process. And so there was a task force put together to look at the process. Ultimately, that task force rec recommended a task force. Um, and, and they standardized the whole process. There is a pretty significant application that schools are required to fill out now uh, for requesting conference realignment. Now, keep in mind that with statewide only, uh, statewide football only realignment coming into play next year, the hope is that that will uh, alleviate a lot of the concerns with conference realignment because football drove realignment in many cases. And if you could separate football from the rest of the sports, uh, the uh, the idea was that things would go a lot smoother. And I think it has, and I think it will continue to do that. So the task force, uh, again, put together a whole list of criteria, information, um, all kinds of things, documentation, et cetera, that they wanted to collect to be able to review conference realignment requests and then make a recommendation to the board of control, who still holds ultimate authority over conference realignment. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things on there. They're they're wanting 
demographic information. They're wanting enrollment trends and uh, history and projections. They're wanting um, a, a host of information. They're also wanting schools to make some proposed solutions. So it's not just, hey, I want something different. It is, hey, I want something different and here's what my idea might be. They also want the schools that are making the request to uh, involve other schools that are going to be impacted. So if they're leaving a conference, they want to have uh, the school that wants to leave have those conversations and, and uh, you know, have people in the know of what's going on. And also um, the, the schools that might be impacted by a team moving into their conference. They want to know how those schools feel about it. Have they been made aware, et cetera? The realignment request form also has a number of uh, people that, that need to sign off on it because that was another part of the uh, process that was, I think, broken. Many people felt correctly. At an area meeting, it's an athletic director, and the athletic director might have a viewpoint on conference realignment and, and voice and opinion, and then you know, the WIA starts working on it, and all of a sudden the principal gets word or the superintendent quite often, or maybe the school board would get word of what was going on or what, you know, what was the, the request or where this school might go. And they had a different viewpoint on it. And, you know, things would be looked at differently all of a sudden. So it's a, uh, and also a process that will try to get everybody on the same page, or at least everybody involved and aware uh, of what's going on with the conference realignment process. So that gets us to where we are now uh, with December 1st being the deadline for schools to submit realignment requests. There were 15 schools that submitted for relief for all sports except for football, which is, again, on its own. Um, it was maybe a little bit of a high number, but it was skewed because there were a number of schools that were requesting re uh, to essentially form a new conference. Some of the schools in Southeast Wisconsin that were independent or a number of them that were in the Indian Trails Conference previously. They wanted to be able to uh, get together and form a new conference, the Lake City Conference, and that was about eight of the uh, requests. So, <coughs> excuse me, really there was only, you know, seven or eight new changes, if you will, that were impactful. And uh, so those schools submitted by December 1st. The applications were made available publicly. You know, the, the schools that were impacted were provided uh, the information so that they could provide some feedback. Um, and, you know, the process kind of went from there. So on, what was it, December 11th or 12th then, after receiving all of the information, after reviewing the information... The task force uh, got together and took a look at it, and they fast-tracked nine of the requests, and eight of them were for the schools that were looking to uh, form that new conference, the Lake City Conference, and that was pretty easy. They also approved a fast-track, uh, which again will all of this will go towards the or go go to the Board of Control. They also approved a fast-track of Saint Croix Falls moving from the Lakeland to the Heart of North for all sports. That's a move that was made for football a couple years ago. There were some ones that they uh, denied, however, for now. That included Ashland, Campbellsport, Delavandarian, West Appear, and Westfield. 
And they denied those for various reasons. Sometimes it was because the information was incomplete or they didn't have all the documentation. <coughs> Excuse me. Quite often it was because they uh, did not provide, you know, the impact statement, if you will, or position statement for the other schools that were impacted by the suggested solutions for the schools. And I have to say, I was a little surprised to see things just denied outright. Um, you know, the the task force and the WI, it seems like they are really looking to put the onus on conference realignment back on the schools uh, very significantly to, for, to find a solution. And it seems like find a solution that everybody agrees on. And that's a very difficult concept. Again, the more schools you involve, the harder that decision becomes. And at some point, you know, somebody's got to make some difficult decisions of, okay, this is a, uh, a fair move or the right move. This is not, uh, what have you. But the task force denied those five uh, requests pending appeal. So in January, those schools can uh, try to get all that information that, that the task force is uh, asking for, get it put together and appeal. Um, but again, it, it it seems like the process is working a little bit differently than what I, I guess I thought it might, where the task force would review requests, use the uh, suggested solutions from the schools to, to look at and you know either say, okay, this makes sense, or if it didn't make sense, see if there was other solutions that could be available. Um, but as of right now, it, it almost seems like the task force is just looking to rubber stamp proposals that the schools bring forward. And Again, there are very difficult um, situations for some of these schools where, you know, Adela Vendarian, they, they want to move. Um, <coughs> they want to make a move to the Rock Valley, but it does impact other schools that might not be 100% on board. Um, but is that going to mean now that in that situation, there will never be any relief provided for Adela Vendarian? because they cannot find 100% agreement of all the other impacted schools. Um, you know, at, at some point, I think the task force is going to have to uh, kind of dig in and, and find some solutions as well themselves or pursue some solutions and not just uh, you know, look at it from a standpoint of, okay, well, everybody's on board, go ahead. Uh, otherwise, you know, what, 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 where does the task force come into play? If, if they're just going to rubber stamp uh, things that you know are brought to them, um, that could all just kind of be done at the board of control level, it would seem like. So we'll see how the process does continue, though, because we are, we're still not through the entire process. Again, there's an appeal process. There's um, you know a, a resolution that can be brought to the board of control for final consideration in March, uh, or for initial consideration, excuse me, in March, final consideration in April. Um, but we'll see how it all plays out. But again, it, it seems like things are going a little differently than what I expected and, and maybe what the schools themselves expected. And we'll see how that plays out going forward. Um, the WIAA, the state of Wisconsin, is one of the few states and, and maybe the only state where conference affiliation and realignment is actually designated to the state association. Everywhere else, it is up to the member schools to Put, put together their own conferences however they see fit. Uh, that was a proposal that was brought forward 
in 2015 or 2016 by the WIAA to try to hand off that process. And the schools overwhelmingly voted against that. They voted, I think it was 400 to 29 in favor of continuing to have the WIAA handle conference realignment because they know if it was up to the schools to have to do it, um, it would very little would get done because again, it's hard to find consensus and a hundred percent agreement on things. Uh, and you know, there's also the the risk if you leave it up to the schools that a group of schools might say, well, you know what? We don't like this school. Uh, they're winning too much. They're, they got to go. We're going to kick them out. Um, so that's kind of where we are in conference realignment. But again, I think with this uh, process being very, very different and very, very new, We'll see how it continues on. It has been certainly an interesting process to see unfold over the last couple of weeks with the, uh, first of all, the the information coming out about the schools that were uh, requesting relief, which ones did and, and what the rationale was and, and what their suggestions were. And also then the uh, decisions by the task force uh, to approve and then the ones that they denied. And by the way, all the ones that they denied were unanimous. There was one vote for Westfield where there was an abstention, and I believe it might have been because one of the uh, members of the task force was uh, uh, an administrator or a uh, from one of the impacted schools. Um, but every other one was fifteen to no or fifteen to zero, no, fifteen to zero, no, fifteen to zero, no. That one was fourteen to zero, no, and in one abstention. So. Uh, certainly pre uh, pre presenting a united front on the task force. And again, we'll see where it goes from here. Last week, there was also news that came out about a, a petition being formulated and, and circulated by members, a segment of the membership that would uh, impact the powers of the board of control, the advisory council, the coaches advisory, there have been some frustrations by a number of schools about how the process works right now for uh, you know rules changes and season regulations and tournament regulations, etc. Um, and it really uh, is highlighted by a couple of basketball um, things that have changed in the last couple of years or or things that were proposed. First of all, the shot clock and where that discussion went a couple of years ago, where it was brought forward from the coaches association. The advisory council, the sports advisory, um, the I believe the executive staff all voted not to support the shot clock. Nobody really thought it was going to pass. In fact, Deb uh, Hauser had told the coaches uh, that were uh, on the committee that were putting it forward, you know, this isn't really going to pass, but at least we'll get it on the uh, on the agenda and we'll get it on the uh, you know kind of the plan for something to look at down the road. So it, it gets it you know, in people's minds and thinking about, well, lo and behold, on the, uh, the day of the vote at the board of control, it was a very close vote, six to four, I believe, or something like that, six to five. Uh, and they passed the shot clock and there were a number of schools that were not happy about how that process worked. that were not happy about the shot clock coming in and the extra expense and cost that it was going to involve for them. And some felt that, uh, that really had not been published uh, and, and that information provided, even though all of the sport uh, regulations are sent out and provided to the uh, 
to the member schools in, in various uh, ways. Um, there were some other changes, the 45 minute soccer halves, the soccer, or excuse me, softball fence. And then later the two game increase in basketball uh, max limits. That was another one that, that really uh, drew some contention, especially at the area meetings that I was at, um, you know, wondering why it was needed or, or again, some ADs that felt like they were a little bit surprised at the, the whole process. Um, and so again, there were some schools that didn't like how some of those things had worked and, and they didn't like that some of those changes were made that were going to increase costs. Um, and they hadn't, they felt like they hadn't properly been vetted. They felt like they hadn't properly been, um, you know, built, uh, some, some information and some feedback from the member schools on. So, uh, long story short, one of the parts of that petition that, that was being circulated and is being circulated was that uh, any changes to maximum game limits, uh, as well as any changes to uh, WIA adaptations to NFHS rules, or anything that would lead to a financial impact on schools must go to the annual meeting for a vote by the entire membership, taking that out of the hands of the Board of Control. So that one is still going uh, on, trying to gain the necessary 10% uh, written uh, signees for that petition, uh, which would be about 50, 51 actually, I think, technically. Uh, 51 people would need to sign on to advance that to the annual meeting in April for a potential vote. Uh, there was another part of that that would require that um, any... Uh, any changes to regulations or rules uh, must pass the advisory council by a more majority vote before going to the board of control for a vote. Uh, some of the administrators felt like the coaches groups have too much power to get things in front of the board of control. And the, uh, the advisory council right now, that is just an advisory vote. Um, the sports advisory, the WI executive staff, they all provide advisory votes on things that are proposed by the coaches. But still, if they're proposed by the coaches, they can get on the board of control agenda, um, even if every all the other levels uh, do not support them. Um, so one of the changes would make that, uh, so if the advisory council rejects it, it does not go forward to the board of control. Also, uh, another part of that, so so that would essentially allow the advisory council to to limit the powers of the coaches groups, uh, the, the coaches committees. You know, some some good and bad arguments for that, um, depending on which side you're on, I guess. But uh, again, it would limit the access for the coaches to get things on the board of control, but um, and put a little bit more in the advisory council now. I haven't, you know, dug through the entire history of the WIAA. There is a, a great book, uh, more than a game, that was put out about the history of the WIAA, and uh, have read through some of that. But you know, the the various council and committee levels of the WIAA, underneath the board of control, it it, it has been to this point that those are all kind of running concurrently. That the advisory council isn't necessarily you know, a hierarchy above the sports advisory, which is above the coaches committee. Um, it, it's not necessarily like that. It, 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 
the one interpretation is that all of those groups are advisory to the board of control and all of those groups represent different groups. One represents the coaches, one represents athletic directors, one represents administrators. So all those levels are getting feedback. All of those levels are providing feedback to the board of control to make their decision. This change, this proposed change would kind of make this more of a hierarchical, is that a word? Hierarchical, hierarchical, hierarchy um, within the, uh, the structure of the WIAA so that the advisory council would be above the coaches committee and, and again, have essentially veto power to, uh, to not allow some of their proposals to move forward. Another part of that uh, amendment would make it so that any amendments that are made and approved by the board of control once, the dis, uh, once something ad advances to them would need to be sent back to the advisory council for approval. So right now, you know, there might be something that comes up from the coach's advisory that goes to the board of control and the board of control can look at it and say, uh, okay, well, we want to, we, we like this idea, but we want to amend it a little bit and change what the actual uh, rule would be. Uh, and right now that doesn't require that rule to go back to any other level. So this petition would, would require that um, any of those amendments or any changes to something that's brought to the Board of Control would need to go back to the Advisory Council for approval before it could be actually voted on and implemented uh, by the Board of Control. So just some interesting dynamics in terms of the inner workings of the WIAA. Again, some schools feeling like there were some cases where uh, the Board of Control had too many powers, where the coaches' advisory groups had too many powers, um, and trying to get some things back in the hands of the membership is the, the goal of this petition and these proposed amendments. And again, uh, they are gathering signatures. They have to turn signatures in by, I believe it's January 3rd, to the WIAA. And if they get the requisite 10%, 51 signatures, then it would go on the voting agenda for April's annual meeting. Now, just because it might be have a, a petition with enough signatures to get it on the agenda doesn't mean it's automatically going to pass. It still could be voted down by the membership at the annual meeting. A couple days after that news came out last week, there was uh, some information that came out that there is a bill circulating in the state legislature that would make it a Class A misdemeanor to harass or intimidate a sports official in response to action taken or with intent to influence a referee, umpire, judge, or anyone serving similar functions. Uh, so that bill is being circulated in the le legislature, and the WIAA uh, posted a, uh, a endorsement in support of that bill, citing uh, a number of instances of um, decreasing uh, numbers of sports officials, decreasing uh, numbers of young officials joining, the incre excuse me, increase in young officials dropping out after a year or two, um, you know, officials indicating that they have uh, felt unsafe working in a uh, in official capacity. There are 24 states that have either assault legislation, civil statutes, or or resolutions that protect sports officials explicitly. Um, and again, it would create a uh, a class A misdemeanor to harass or intimidate a sports official. 
the, the bill would propose a possible penalty of up to 40 hours of community service um, or other penalties associated with the crime. In addition, it could require uh, counseling, anger management, abuse behavior intervention at the violator's expense. So uh, something that you know, I, I think is very well-intentioned. I think we all agree, and I have always uh, been somebody that would support better uh, interactions, better treatment of officials at the high school level, at the youth level. And this bill, by the way, would not just be a high school WIAA official thing. It would be a all youth and, uh, and, and you know, all levels of sport down to youth sports, up to varsity. I, I guess it would depend on how it's written and, and what it would say, but I mean, it could include college officials and professional uh, leagues and things like that. Uh, so, you know, we'll we'll see kind of how things go with this, but the WI threw their endorsement behind it. The WIAC has, uh, has supported it. WADA, the Athletic Directors Association, um, National Association of Sports Officials, a number of the uh, sports, uh, excuse me, officials associations have, have, uh, voiced support for that. And, uh, you know, it, it, again, well, well intentioned, but I do, I, I do have some reservations. I think a lot of people do about what it could do in terms of a, uh, kind of a Pandora's box or a slippery slope of what does harassment or intimidation of a sports official mean? Because quite honestly, if you, uh, almost every varsity coach that I've ever watched could be guilty of harassing or intimidating a sports official based on your interpretation. Um, good or bad, indifferent, I, I don't know, but almost every high school varsity coach would be guilty of that. And so, you know, I think it would be a nightmare for law enforcement, for district attorneys, um, law, you know, in, in the court system to adjudicate all of this. I would have concerns about um, officials potentially, and, and maybe it would come into play more in youth officiating or youth sports than it would in the WIAA. But, you know, if, uh, if, if a, an official has an issue with a coach and, you know, it, it's not a, a good interaction, you know, a coach is maybe being too hard on them, but does that mean that that official should be able to press charges for a class A misdemeanor, which is, you know, it's not, it's not a traffic ticket. It's not, uh, insignificant. Um, and so, you know, there's some concerns along that, uh, along that path, you know, as a fan, if I yell, call it both ways, or that was a travel, you got to be better. Does that mean I am subject to being charged with a class A misdemeanor? I mean, those are, you know, very uh, seemingly perhaps inane, you know, instances. But if you if you look at the language, if you look at what is harassment or intimidation uh, with intent to influence a official, I mean, those are things that that technically fall under that realm. And so again, how do, how do you police it? How do you uh, handle it from a, a law enforcement perspective. Is it open to overreaching, maybe is the way to put it, by by some officials? Um, I, I Again, I, I am all for having a higher standard of expectations 
in terms of behavior towards sports officials. But I, I do think it needs to come down to individuals. I think it needs to come down to the local level and, and you know, game management. And I, I just am not sure that it, you know, those kinds of things need to involve laws and law enforcement. Certainly if somebody assaults an official, you know, physically assaults an official, if somebody, um, you know, chases an official out to their car, screaming at them, if somebody, <clears throat> you know, is, is physical with an official or, or, you know, really goes over the line, obviously those are things that need to be addressed from a, uh, you know, a law enforcement perspective, but there are already harassment laws and things like that that would cover that. So I, it, I don't know that this, um, you know, takes things any farther than what you could already do, or, or, no, I think it does take things farther than what you could do, but I don't know that, you know, some of those things necessarily are, uh, you know, couldn't be dealt with now. Uh, from a high school perspective, I, I really think game management at schools uh, needs to be more proactive in not just reading a sportsmanship announcement before a game, but actually addressing poor fan behavior, actually addressing poor coach behavior. Uh, it, it's difficult for, I, I get it in many situations, uh, you know, small schools, it, it's a teacher that is doing it as a part-time deal as a, uh, an athletic director. It's difficult for them to sit down with a coach and say, you're being a jerk, you need to stop harassing the officials and riding them constantly, and it's just not acceptable. That is a difficult conversation to have. It's a, a difficult conversation to have if, you know, you're a 30-year-old first-time AD and, and your basketball coach is a 50-year-old, uh, you know, with two state championships or, uh, you know, long-time respected coach, but they're a jerk uh, or a jerk at times. Um, that's a difficult place to put that athletic director in. It's, it's difficult for game management. Often, you know, teachers just helping out when they can to go up in the stands and, and get a parent that's just being crazy and out of control and, and over the line, yelling and screaming, berating officials, it's difficult to go up and say, hey, we're not going to do that. That's not what we're going to uh, allow here. And uh, that's something that needs to stop. And if it doesn't stop, then the next obviously part of it is, you know, removing somebody from a, a contest. But if you talk to officials, I think to a person, they would say that game management really needs to step up to the plate and provide more than just uh, lip service, I guess is one way to put it, to the problem of uh, you know harass, harassment or um, berating of officials and, and the poor uh, interactions towards officials from coaches, fans, and players at times. Um, you know, that, that comes at a local level. And I don't think that will uh, change with a, a law like this. And I don't think that will, um, you know, I, I think it can be done and it needs to be done at the local level. Uh, but, but we'll see. We'll see where this goes. We'll see if the uh, legislature passes it. But perhaps more importantly, we'll see what it actually does to problem fans. Uh, you know, is anybody going to be prosecuted for a Class A misdemeanor? If they are, is it going to be a fair and equitable situation? Or is it going to be a, an official that perhaps overreaches in, 
you know, what they feel shouldn't be uh, happening. Um, an interesting discussion and an interesting, uh, interesting viewpoints that were, that were out there. Uh, I did ask on Twitter, excuse me, uh, you know, try to get some, some feedback there and, uh, and also in our Facebook comments and in article uh, comments that were on our site uh, about, you know, what, what's your feedback? What are your thoughts on, on all of this? Uh, how, you know, is, is this something that needs to be in place from a legal perspective? Got a lot of different opinions. Um, you know, a number of people felt like it was a little bit of overreach. Uh, you know, I, I think certainly some people that felt like it was a little bit of, uh, you know, the, the people that are anti-big government <laughs> had a, uh, you know, perspective that, uh, you know, you would expect there. Um, but uh, again, we'll, we'll kind of see how things go uh, and what needs to be done. So I, I asked if, if you agree on, on Twitter, I had a Twitter poll, do you agree that the state leg legislature should pass a bill that would make it a class A misdemeanor, et cetera, et cetera? Almost 1,500 votes, 38% said yes, 38% said no, and 23% voted for unsure, needs some more information. So again, a little bit murky on... Uh, you know, support uh, for for something like that, and obviously different groups are going to have different viewpoints on it. Um, officials are going to have a different viewpoint than fans or coaches, uh, and understandably. So to cap it all off, maybe maybe there's more coming in the next uh, week or two before the end of the year. This week, we got news of another member petition being circulated, and this one is a little bit of deja vu because it does attempt uh, to address competitive equity and it does attempt to address competitive equity in boys and girls basketball. And of course, it's getting on five years ago now that we had, uh, had the whole uh, public-private multiplier debate really have uh, you know, fuel thrown on the fire with a proposal that was uh, brought forward and, and introduced by a group of schools in the Six Rivers Conference uh, via petition that placed on the agenda back in 2015 at the annual meeting the idea of a private school multiplier. And from there, uh, there was a, a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of um, heated, emotional, passionate uh, conversations. Uh, not all of them constructive. Not all of them... Um, positive. It was a very divisive issue for a lot of people within schools, within conferences, fans, coaches, athletic directors, everybody. Uh, it was a very difficult time. Ultimately, uh, over the course of a year or two, the, uh, the debate went in a lot of different ways. At that first meeting, the multiplier was tabled, um, and the, uh, the idea of Further study and looking into it was uh, was advanced from there. Uh, a few other proposals were put forward. Another, excuse me, petition was put forward for a free and reduced lunch reducer, which essentially would attempt to uh, have higher e economic school districts uh, would be impacted negatively and lower economic 
school districts would be impacted positively in terms of how they would be placed or moved or how their enrollment would be uh, adjusted. Um, there was the success factor, which attempted to, instead of looking at the reasons that some schools have success, just looking at the outcome, because there are so many different reasons of why schools are successful and different types of schools that are successful. Instead of trying to get into all of that, there was a the success factor. There was um, a rural urban plan for basketball that was put in place, uh, or that was uh, pre uh, presented. Ultimately, none of those things garnered enough support to get passed. And so we were left kind of wondering what's next. And it, it didn't die down. If you, if you were following anything during the uh, <clears throat> state tournaments for basketball, during the state finals for football, you might have seen, it's like clockwork, the, the same people, uh, I don't want to say come out of hiding, but all of a sudden, Destiny's in a state championship game, it's the same people, you know, making comments on our Facebook page or, or on Twitter, if St. Mary Springs is in a state championship game for football, all of a sudden, you know, it, it wasn't talked about all year, and all of a sudden, it's private schools are the devil. And, uh, you know, it, it it has continued to be a topic of discussion, but um, really hadn't been anything actionable, really had not been any, uh, you know, actual movement on anything since that rural urban plan was defeated uh, a few years ago. So now we have a, uh, again, a petition, a member-driven petition that would attempt to uh, address the items in competitive equity from a standpoint of a kind of a double prong uh, attempt. The the first part of it, uh, the, the schools that uh, have, have been working on this, they have uh, cited a study from an analytics company that showed a statistical correlation between athletic success and income level. They said that there was a 10-year study of boys basketball that showed overwhelmingly that the more affluent the, the school district, the lower the number of free and reduced lunch uh, students, the better statistical chance of winning uh, for regular season and state tournament. Now, uh, as of yet, they have not provided the information on the athletics or the analytics company that did that study. They haven't provided uh, you know, the, the background or the, the study information. They haven't provided what a better statistical chance means as of yet. Is that, you know, a 1% chance above normal? Is that a 25% chance above normal? You know, that's all information that will hopefully be coming out as uh, this discussion continues. Um, so that's one part of it, is that uh, the, the, there would be a formula created, and it would be, uh, what is it called here? The division... Uh, no, I'm losing it. The divisions, uh, division allocation formula. There we go. That would incorporate a free and reduced lunch uh, part of that formula. And it would also incorporate a success factor for that formula. The success factor would be very similar to the one utilized and presented a few years ago that failed. <coughs> and again, if you recall, a reducer based on free and reduced lunch rate failed as well. So it is kind of interesting that the uh, that the tact being taken here is to reintroduce, reintroduce, repackage two proposals that have already been defeated in, in you know pretty soundly 
uh, buy the membership and get them back on the uh, on the agenda. So um, that information came out on Tuesday. Still, you know, trying to digest where it would all go. Um, also, you know that that actual formula, what it would mean for schools, had not been. Uh, presented, you know, what your actual formula number would be. So school A, did they go up a division? School B went down, what have you. That's an important part of it uh, to actually see what the impact would be. You know, does it mean 100 schools change divisions? Does it mean five? I don't know. And so that will be a pretty significant part of everything. <clears throat> and interestingly enough, uh, there was a third part of the proposal of the of the petition that is not related to competitive equity. It's not related to public private or anything like that. Um, but it would have created a six team division one state tournament for boys and girls basketball. Uh, the only uh, other mention in that is that they believe it would spark greater interest in the state tournament. I do feel like that part is maybe a little bit of a uh, Trojan horse uh, to try to get the big schools on board of supporting the adjustment, the competitive equity, the division uh, division allocation formula. Because in the last, in the previous rounds of discussions, reducer, success factor, multiplier, rural, urban, the big schools really, really didn't support those things overall. Um, there was better support among the smaller schools, obviously the public schools, uh, for those proposals than there was at the big school level. So I think, you know, smartly, maybe, um, the, the, uh, the folks working on this kind of threw that in there to say, hey, maybe we can get some of the big schools on board. Because if you go back to 2012, the first implementation, and then 2011 when it was voted on and put in place – the move to five divisions in basketball that eliminated eight schools from Division One at the state tournament really was a uh, a real uh, you know hot button issue for those big schools, and it still is. It's still hear it from fans of big schools, and especially from coaches at big schools in Division One, just uh, constantly uh, bringing that up and, and complaining about it and. You know, we're eight, nine years later, and it's still uh, really at the forefront of their minds. And, and we're not going to get into the, you know, rehashing that entire argument, but uh, it's something that they have been pretty passionate about. So this, I think, is a little bit of an attempt to try to play on that passion, get people that otherwise maybe wouldn't support a reducer and success factor and say, hey. Yeah, you throw us six teams at state, we'll do it. Um, now, it is interesting from the perspective of if you look at the WIA Constitution, uh, potentially both of these items could have a little bit of issues with how the Constitution works currently. So season regulations, tournament regulations, uh, sport regulations, our uh, per the Constitution, are are uh, given to the Board of Control for oversight and and uh, voting on what those will be. So, you know, is there a 
an argument that since the division allocation formula is a sport-specific thing, that this technically would fall under the powers of the Board of Control. Maybe. Uh, that's an argument that I think could be made, and I wonder if it will be made uh, by anyone or, or by the WIAA uh, or their parliamentarian. Um, and also, especially the part uh, about a six-team basketball tournament. I mean, that quite clearly would seem to fall under the guidelines of uh, sport regulations and tournament regulations that are that are under the power of the board of control, not the member schools. So, is again, is that going to create a constitutional issue where you would have two things that would be, uh, you know, kind of against each other? Um, and how does that resolution come about? Does the does the Constitution need to be changed to take the powers of sport regulation away from the Board of Control and give them to the membership or have that as an option for the membership to uh, vote on? Because it could potentially open up a whole host of things if the membership doesn't like the 18-minute halves in basketball or the additional games in basketball or what have you, that uh, you know those should now be under the membership power, which is, again part of some of those items, the uh, the other petition that's being circulated that would restore or move some of the uh, oversight and final decision-making on those kinds of things from the Board of Control to the membership. But again, six teams at state for, for basketball, it does seem like that would fall under the sport regulations and again, create some uh, some potential issues there. So what does all this mean? Where are we going with this? Uh, you know, what are the chances of this succeeding where four other proposals had failed previously? I don't know. Still digesting information, still you know, talking to people and getting some feedback and, and seeing where they're at um, on things. But my initial thought is I would not be surprised if this gets the 10% requisite signatures to advance to the WI uh, annual meeting. But looking at how uh, significantly the reducer was defeated the last time and how the success factor was defeated the last time, I just struggled to see this getting the requisite support overall to be passed. And, and that doesn't even bring up the idea of what a reducer would do to the actual um, enrollment and divisional placement for schools. Would that mean, if, if, you, if you go back to uh, the, the discussions that we had and some of the information that we were able to put together and that was, was provided to us during the uh, time frame when people were talking about the reducer, you know, there were some pretty significant changes that were made to schools' enrollments based on uh, what that would be and what it would do. You know, the uh, Milwaukee City Schools that have over 90% free and reduced lunch rates, they would potentially be moved down even further. A school like Milwaukee, Washington could go down to Division Three very easily. Um, a number of those MPS schools could go down a division. Uh, you know, what are the, I guess, unintended consequences of the uh, 
this proposal of, of something that would incorporate a reducer. You know, the Green Bay City Schools and some of these other schools that uh, have pretty significant um, free and reduced lunch numbers. You know, what's that going to do? And also, if you recall back during that initial reducer conversation, that information that they sent out never actually included free and reduced lunch numbers at private schools. Private schools, most of them, maybe all of them, I, I'm not 100% sure, uh, still participate in the federal lunch program and still have some of them, many of them, free and reduced lunch uh, opportunities for their students. Um, again, depending on all of the same criteria, income levels, et cetera. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a, uh, a private school in the Milwaukee area that oftentimes many people point to as one of the you know, the beneficiaries of, of being a private school, whatever, that has a almost 40% free and reduced lunch rate. Um, so how will that come into play? Do we know, uh, you know, have we really fully incorporated, uh, you know, what it will mean for the private schools to be impacted as well? Um, so a lot to kind of go over and digest from this new petition that just came out. But ultimately, I guess I'm a little bit skeptical that it will generate the, uh, the support that is necessary to actually get passed. Uh, but we'll see where it goes. Uh, you know, it, it obviously reignites the debate. It obviously uh, starts things kind of over again and gets us back to almost square square one of the whole public-private multiplier um, competitive equity discussion, which you know is, is framed as competitive equity now. Many people framed it as public-private, and many people do, quite honestly, continue to frame it as public-private. There's a, a large segment of people, fans, also coaches, also athletic directors, administrators, that uh, just see red on anything to do with private schools and, you know, want them moved out of uh, the WIAA, want to go back to WISA, want to put them in their own divisions, want to punish them, want to put them down any way that they can. So, you know, there's, there's a whole host of things that are starting to rise to the surface again as, uh, you know, as we start talking about competitive equity and as we start talking about what these changes could do to... Uh, to the landscape of high school sports, and in this case, basketball. So again, a very busy two-week period here that we have had in high school sports in terms of off-the-court news. You go, uh, again, you go back to the conference realignment uh, stuff, the, the requests that were submitted, the ones that were approved, the ones that were denied. Uh, we start talking about the uh, first petition in, that would kind of impact or in some cases limit the powers of the board of control, the sports advisory groups, change how the advisory council, uh, you know, how, how their uh, oversight works. The uh, discussions about officials in, in a uh, proposed bill that would make it a uh, misdemeanor to harass or intimidate an official. The proposal, the, the petition being advanced by uh, the membership, uh, by some members of the membership, that would uh, attempt to address competitive equity. And by the way, I didn't even mention uh, the statement that came out from the, uh, from the WIAA when I contacted them about this proposal 
to see, you know, kind of where they were at, what they had heard, what they had gotten, what information they had to pass on or, or what, you know, statement they might have. I thought maybe we'd get something somewhat general uh, about, you know, reviewing it and, and seeing where things were, etc. It wasn't that. <laughs> it was not that. It was uh, quite opposite of that. The statement that they provided uh, was, you know, relatively short, a couple sentences, but it was very uh, direct and to the point. It read, we have received the petition identifying another consideration to address a perceived competitive imbalance by a segment of the membership. In recent years, the membership has reviewed and rejected all attempts to gerrymander access to the state tournament or handicap the outcomes. For clarity purposes, the information in the email with the, with the petition misrepresents the results of a membership survey a few years ago. The survey did not reveal an overwhelming sentiment that there is a problem with competitive equity. That's a pretty strong statement coming from the WIAA executive staff uh, about this petition, you know, using language like gerrymander access or handicap outcomes, um, misrepresenting the results, uh, you know, those kinds of things are very strong statements uh, and, and very interesting to see uh, come out from the WIAA who has been, uh, you know, the staff has been certainly not afraid to, uh, to s state what they have felt on this issue going all the way back to the original uh, discussions in 2015. Dave Anderson, the executive director, you know, was not afraid uh, to, to stand up and say, we don't think this is right. Um, you know, it, was, uh, it, it has been interesting to see how the, the WIA staff has handled some of these discussions and conversations and uh, plans and proposals that have uh, come out around this issue in the last five years, and especially this latest one, uh, again, with a very, uh, very strong statement, uh, kind of rebuking uh, this, uh, this most recent proposal and the petition to address competitive equity. So again, a, a busy time. It's been a lot to digest in terms of off the court, off the field issues, uh, WIAA business related types of things. Uh, I, I, I have always found the business of the WIAA very fascinating. I have always, uh, as, as many of you have probably noticed over the years, I've um, followed it very closely, have, have come to, uh, you know, I think have a good understanding of how the WIAA works, how the staff works, how, you know, they look at things. Um, and again, just kind of that business aspect of the WIAA is, is something that I've always uh, really found fascinating. And, and so this last couple weeks has uh, provided a plethora of opportunities to, uh, to really get a, a, a peek behind the curtain in some ways of, uh, of how the WIAA works, the inner workings, the politics, the, you know, uh, just what's going on, uh, kind of the heartbeat of the WIAA uh, from a membership level from a executive staff level, from, uh, from a number of things. So fun time if you're, uh, if you're into following the WIA like I am. Uh, but that will do it for this uh, edition of the WSN podcast. Again, look forward next week to chatting with Norbert Durst, our girls basketball writer, Mark Miller, our boys basketball writer, getting their uh, insights on some of the outstanding high school basketball tournaments and classics and events that are coming up over the Christmas break. 
we will talk to you before Christmas next week. We'll probably have our podcast out, by the way, on Tuesday next week, since Christmas is on Wednesday next week. So uh, look for our next podcast, a special one on Tuesday. Uh, but in case we don't talk to you before then, or in case you don't tune in, certainly want to wish you a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, Happy New Year's. And uh, it's been a great year filled with all kinds of uh, fun things to talk about, a lot of great performances, games, etc., players, and we look forward to a great 2020. I am Travis Wilson, the general manager at WISports.net. This has been a WISports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game. <laughs>